At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need to advance your mortgage practice quickly and efficiently from Jen Duplessis. America's Mortgage Mastery Mentor with over 37 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings. Jen has been mentoring loan officers and realtors for over 15 years and speaking on stages across the globe. So settle in and get ready as Jen and her guests share their experience, passion, and strategies to help you crack the top producer code to reach new heights in your business. And now, here's your host, Jen Duplessis. Mortgage Mastery Mentor and Head Chicken Charge of Kinetic Spark Consulting. Hey there, and welcome back to this episode. I have another investor for us. I, you know, I love kind of intermingling investors into our podcast um, just because it's really important as mortgage loan officers and as real estate agents that you're investing in your own product, for God's sake. <laughs> right. And so today I have Whitney Elkins Hutton with me. She is uh, the director of investor education at passiveinvesting.com. And she's the host of the Passive Investing Made Simple YouTube show, which and a podcast, right? We all have that and a partner in $800 million worth of real estate including a 6500 over 6500 residential units, uh, multifamilies, all of that. Um, and uh, she owns seven express car washes and more than 2,200 self-storage units across um, 11 states and experience and has tons of experience in flipping over $5 million in residential real estate. So I love that you're, so welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. And that's, yeah. a, that's a lot, that's a lot going on. Um, you know, uh, from the syndication piece of this, you know, many of us, have a lot of properties that we're invested in, you know, if we, we add it all up, but what's so unique about what you're doing is that you've got some properties, you know, on your own as well. And, and um, so I can't wait to talk to you about how this got started, particularly because you come from the healthcare industry, which is pretty interesting because most people don't, you know, put that together and say, wait a minute, how did you, you go from health to investors? So share with us a little bit about your journey into getting started. Yeah, I didn't start off in private equity, multifamily self-storage or express car wash real estate. Uh, I started off in 2002 as a, uh, you know, as an accidental landlord. I bought a house with a significant other. And then about a year later, the property, uh, or, or not a year later, about a month later, the relationship fell apart and I had a house. <laughs> surprise. Um, and I had all the bills and everything, the loan, ever, all, everything was under my name. I was the one with the, the stable, the more stable income. And oh. so stepped up all my roommates, completed the rehab on the property. And remind, remember in 2002, YouTube didn't exist. So I had to 
open up this crazy thing called a book and go to Home Depot You're classes down. to learn how to tile and do drywall and all of that. Um, but 11 months later, I sold the property and uh, but that was probably my number one investing mistake because if I knew then what I know now, I would have held on to that property. But nonetheless, uh, it got me into real estate because I made more money in that single transaction than I did in my day job that had me traveling sometimes 80 hours a week. And yeah. at the same time, I had eliminated all my housing expenses, utilities, uh, you know, all my portion of the mortgage payment because I had roommates paying the bills. So the strategy is now called house hacking and living flipping. But, you know, th these things have been around for a long time. This is not a new strategy. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, <clears throat> how many more projects can I do? <laughs> so uh, I just got enamored with it. Um, and my husband, I met my husband, and, you know, we, we did several more projects together. Uh, but then we realized we don't have cash flow. Like, how are these people retiring off of real estate? There's just no way. Um, and then a friend of ours just su suggested one day, like, why don't you keep one of your rentals and, yeah, or one of your flips and put it, make it a rental. And we're like, oh, genius idea. But then we realized we didn't know, understand how to analyze cash flow. And the funny thing is my degree is in epidemiology, <laughs> which is heavy in stat statistics and math, but you know, it's not the same language for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyways, we, we scaled a portfolio of over 30 single family rentals. We were flipping on the side. And then we hit our next level uh, ceiling of achievement. And we wanted to try to make our, our portfolio as passive as possible because I just felt like I had another DA job managing and all, even managing the manager on all right. these rentals. I wasn't doing it myself. And so we were like, okay, either we need to go bigger um, with our transactions and, and less, less properties to manage, or we need to go passive, which one will work for us. So we when you can't choose, what do you do? You go, go after both. And we did that. And we discovered a really unique thing here is that we used our active real estate to fund our passive real estate. Mm -hmm. Neither my husband and I are, are high income earners. And so that was a very interesting strategy for us because we could amplify our income by being active in real estate, by flipping, by managing our, you know, rentals, managing short-term rentals and also some other business ventures we had. That at the end of the day, we needed to fund our retirement, be able to have that fully passive financial free life. And um, we wanted it sooner rather than later. So it meant taking as many chips off the table as possible and putting it into passive real estate. And that's really the message that I have. Um, you know, when I speak to realtors, especially you guys, <laughs> you have such a wealth of, um, you know, access and information about real estate in your particular niche. How can you take as many chips off the table to fund your future life? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, I find that too, you know, having been in the industry, not as a, a realtor, but as a loan officer for many years. Um, I find that in both sides, you know, that that we're not investing in the, the product that we actually sell and have really a lack of knowledge of anything that's beyond, you know, just buying a house or buying a condo, financing it, refinancing it. There's the lack of knowledge beyond that. It's just amazing, um, you know, generally. But I know anyone who's listening to this podcast is learning because we bring on investors on occasion because, um, I just think this is so, you know, powerful. So, so both my, so my husband and I do both active and passive investing as well. We've been investing for over 40 years now. So we've got a, a very extensive portfolio as well. Um, but 
one of the things that, it, and I'm a bit, and I am a coach to loan officers. So one of the things I get questions about all the time is how do you get started? How do you get started? And the way I got started was so different from the way that you could get started now. You know, there's so many limitations. Uh, there's so much credit in that involved in, you know, in getting, in getting a property. When you look at traditional financing, you know, I, I did step investing. I saved my money, put down 10% because back then you could <laughs> put down 10% on an investor loan. And, and I would just get a loan and then I'd save more money and I would do it again and do it again. And, you know, and of course now I do all some kind all kinds of quirky things, but what is your suggestion for someone who, you know, says, look, I want to start doing this. Um, I'm of the opinion you should purchase the income for your first property, not purchase a first property um, because there's just a lot of work. I don't do any flips. I, that's too much work for me, but what do you say to someone who wants to get involved, especially when there's passive income opportunities out there? And what different levels of passive income are you seeing? Because I'm seeing some drop, some more affordable passive income opportunities popping up into the marketplace. Can you share with us a little bit on how, how you guide people on getting started? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, there's two separate questions really in there. You know, how can somebody get started in investing? And then how can somebody get started in passive investing? Mm -hmm. So I'll actually tackle the first because, you know, if somebody's in a position, they're just starting off on, on their career as a loan officer, a realtor, you know, what, what have you. Um, you know, how can you make your roof over your head your first stream of income? And that might mean, you know, utilizing an FHA loan to, to acquire a one to four unit property, right? Like you live in one unit, you run out the other three and, you know, either significantly reduce or eliminate your housing bill. That would be a beautiful first step. Hang on to it for a couple of years, move out, go do it again, right? Just repeat that process. That would be, you know, um, how I would probably initially start building my, my, uh, my core, um, controlled real estate portfolio. But at some point in time, you know, managing all those units will, you know, isn't entirely passive, right? But the income according to the IRS is passive, but, yeah. you know, spending the time, mm -hmm. you know, managing the manager, even doing all the repairs yourself isn't passive. It might be leveraged for sure. So, um, you know, or you've moved up in your career and you have a higher and better use with your time focusing on your career to amplify your income that way. That way you can now take the, again, take those chips off the table and, and put it into a more passive strategy. But so how do you get into a passive deal? Well, if you aren't going to be your own operator by you buying your own controlled real estate and managing the manager or managing it yourself, you now have to get amazingly good at underwriting the person you're going to invest with. That's the most critical step. And I think that is the where most people go awry when they go into passive investing. They're taking their knowledge from the stocks, bonds, and mutual fund world where we're trained to chase numbers, chase yield, um, make the highest return possible. And that's simply not the case. We need to invest in the who and then how are they achieving the return? So it's always the who, then the how. And in this case, it'd be finding the operators. Um, so, you know, listening to podcasts like this would be an amazing way to like find your operators, going to investment groups, conferences. Uh, realtor meetups or not realtor, um, real estate investing meetups. Yeah. Uh, there's some online, yeah, yeah, like Rio group. But mm -hmm. Obviously, you can go to like um, places like Left Field Investors. They're an online virtual 
um, real estate group, but find the find the operator, learn how to under, underwrite the operator very well, understand their markets that they're in, and then you know invest in the deal. Now those are just broad strokes. You know, I train people in the passive investing made simple masterclass and boot camps to actually execute on each one of those steps. Um, I also have a free ebook for everybody if they want to go to passiveinvestingwithwhitney.com um, that outlines these steps too. It's, it's essentially a blueprint on how do you get into your first um, passive deal, first or next deal. Um, but anyways, those are just kind of the where I would start. Um, that's the how though still. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, oh no, I totally get that. Yeah. So let me let me interrupt you for just a second because one of the things I want to talk about is before we start, you know, going into the who is I want to stay in the how for a second. Is uh, you know, one of the challenges I think that a lot of people have when they want to start investing is the lack of cash. So whether they have it in 401k and they were told, you know, save it for the lifetime and worry about it, you know, 30 years from now or whatever the case may be. Um, the lack of cash in investing, how can someone who has little to no cash invest? And I'm going to preface this by saying without doing wholesaling, because I don't want to talk about wholesaling. <laughs> I really don't, because I think that a lot of people are <laughs> I saying, don't want to talk about wholesaling either. <laughs> yeah, they, they say, well, I'm going to wholesale and they, you know, people teach them how to wholesale and nobody wholesales. You know, it, it, it's difficult. It's a difficult market to be in. So the time that you spent wholesaling to earn the $2,000, you could be doing some investing. You could have a part-time job. You could be selling stuff out of your house and earn $2,000 to get started to do something. So I don't want to talk about that. But but what? how does someone who doesn't have fifty or $75,000 or $100,000 in, in liquid assets, because many of the, the syndications are in that level, what are some ways that you're you're recommending that people find liquid liquidity in what they have or find options to get into something with less cash? Yeah. So it's really a function of three things. You have to either increase your income, decrease your expenses, or do both. Mm -hmm. um, add additional streams of income. You know, it was kind of like the doing both part. But so um, you know, how do you increase your income? How do you become more valuable at work? How do you um, solve more bigger and better problems at work? How do you get that promotion? How do you get that raise? Maybe you switch companies that you work with to get a bump. I mean, you know, a lot of people are very attached to the company they work with, but, you know, statistically, uh, you're going to get a higher pay raise if you switch companies than trying to continue to get raises within the same company. That's, you know, there's tons of information out that. Um, you know, out there regarding that. So how do you become more valuable at work? Um, how can you decrease your expenses at home? I, and I'm not talking about like the latte factor that David Bach <laughs> talks about, um, but I'm talking about, you know, focusing on yourself first uh, and putting your, you know, eliminating any sort of destructive uh, expense within your particular, um, you know, personal finance situation, you know, credit card fees, um, rich charges, you know, alcohol, you know, drugs, you know, anything like that, you know, get rid of the Amazon, Amazon. Yeah. I, that's consumptive, but that's the next level. How can you uh, reduce significantly reduce your consumptive expenses? Those yeah. things that really don't have add value to your life. Um, you know, but keeping, I like keeping it focused though on the things that allow you to be productive and also protect your wealth. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Those are the two areas that I really don't skimp on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we need, you know, don't forego your car insurance or your renter's insurance or your home insurance. Those aren't right. the things that right. we want to do, but we want to get the best bang for our money. Right. Um, but on the productive expenses, being really, truly real on those expenses that if you put a dollar in that you get, you know, at least two back, right. They're doubling, helping you double your income. And, you know, it's really easy for somebody to try to justify something as being productive. So that's the tricky part. But, you know, again, that's, that's how I look at reducing the expenses. Also, you know, look at the fees that you're paying, you know, credit card fees, banking fees, all that, eliminate all those fees, try to reduce your tax bill as much as possible. That's one of our number one expenses, personal expenses. Um, Are you paying too much for insurances? I, when I work with my clients, private clients, I see all sorts, I see them paying two or three times what they need to for their home insurance <laughs> or yeah. they're paying mo- multiple like um, car insurance policies. I had one person that had two car insurance policies on the same car. That should not happen, but it happens. Yeah. People just don't, they take your eye off the ball, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then pay attention and sometimes it's avoidance too. You know, sometimes it's, I don't want to see what's coming out of my account. You know, Sharon Lecter talks about this and I know you're really, you know, big on the ES and BI quadrants and stuff, the four quadrants, but Sharon talks about this all the time is, you know, one of the things that I taught, I learned from her going to her home for a mastermind is uh, to print your physically print your statements every single month and go through them line by line by line by line. How often have we signed up for something for a 14 day trial? And now we're having this payment come out that we have no clue about. So, you know, I think that's important too. So let me, let me just sort of redirect this question. Do you know, I was just going to flat out ask it. Do you know of any passive investments that are less than $25,000? Um, uh, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, there are companies out there, um, that take passive investments for less than $20,000. There's crowd sharing, um, platforms, um, out there that will take like, you know, um, five to 10, 10 K investments. So there's other ways to get involved in real estate, um, for less than, you know, $20,000. I think they, um, you know, there's pros and cons to those types of investments, right? You're not as close to the operator. You might be um, investing on a platform that's more of a marketing platform. Mm-hmm. So they, the operator might be paying to play. Um, but, you know, there, there, you know, there are good platforms out there that are vetting deals. Um, you know, there's things, uh, I'm not, you know, here to promote any one platform or anything like that, but, you know, I know people check out like Fundrise, Realty Mogul, Crowd Street, Yield Street, stuff like that. Now, some of these platforms, you do have to be an accredited investor, um, in order to, to invest on, on them, but some you don't. Um, also here's the thing that I tell people all the time. If you love private equity real estate and you're just like, I don't have the 75K check to write, or you don't, or you just don't want to invest it the first time, talk to the operator and, you know, get to know, love and trust them. Still, they may have a different way for you to invest. They might have a crowd fund. Like we're opening up a crowd fund that's going to allow sophisticated investors to invest alongside all of our deals. They might have a different vehicle for you to invest in. Yeah. Um, that, that, it, but it might be just a different business, right. That you don't know about. So it's still yeah. worthwhile to have that conversation. Um, and then you can always, if you find an operator that you're like, wow, I really want to invest with this operator. 
um, but their minimums are just out, you know, unattainable for me. You know, think about asking if they would take a smaller check size. What's the worst they're going to say? Yeah. Yeah. No, life isn't over. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. And um, yeah. And, and I know of some really small ones too. I know of um, some famous person, I'll leave their name out, you know, who's allowing people to invest $5,000, which is okay, except that your return is $4 and 16 cents a month. So why would you want to invest? In that? Right. Just to say that, oh, I'm invested, you know, in a, in a $65 million apartment building, you know, that I have five, $5,000 invested in, and, you know, you'd be better off paying $5,000 to pay off a credit card debt than, than to do that. You would actually be better, quite frankly, paying the penalty to take money out of a 401k than to do something like that. So I think those are some things that people need to be, yeah, need to be looking at and, and thinking about as well. Um, okay, so tell us a little bit about, do you think that this market is oversaturated? Because I've been podcasting for nine years now, nine and a half years in this, this podcast. And um, it's only been in the last three and a half, four years that I have seen, you know, syndication, syndication after syndication. I'm not saying it's new, but what's happening in this world that we need to be careful about with everyone popping up to be a syndication operator? Yeah, well, first we have to understand the history before 2012. Um, the laws prohibited, you know, this type of investment being made available retail um, yes. to, you know, the the average Joe on the street. They were specifically reserved for, um, you know, family offices in, in, in larger private equity groups. So one, you know, we are, we're just seeing, you know, an in the uh, a new field be born. Okay, right. so of course you're going to see you know, just a few get in the space. And as those people grow, you know, people are going to come up behind them. So we're starting to see a little bit of this hockey stick growth, yeah. but I think a couple of things have happened since 2020 and even in today's market, um, rising tide lifts all boats. But what happens when the water goes out, we're going to see who's swimming naked. Mm -hmm. I, I think we're going to see a lot of people exit the space. Yeah. Um, for one reason or another, you know, either they just can't get their, 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 their business off the ground or growing, or they have to move from being a operator into solely raising capital or into a fund of funds model. Mm -hmm. So what, you know, you ask the question, what do we need to be careful of in this space? Um, for us at PassiveInvesting.com, we are direct operators. We own the real estate and we own the land. We own the brand. We, you know, most in, in the cases of our express car washes, we own the third-party management company. We're 100% vertically integrated right. in that arena. Um, so, but, you know, uh, not everybody's like that. You know, they may call themselves a GP or an operator on an asset, you, but you have to dig in and ask the questions. Are you buying or are you just raising capital for somebody else's deal to get a slice of the pie? Right. There's no right or wrong way. It's just how close do you want to be to the deal, to the person who's making the day-to-day -day decisions? Right. Um, so that is a huge thing that we need to watch out for in today's market. But then, then it's just getting into the, like the eight red flags that, you know, anybody should be looking out for at any point in time, you know, are they investing with just one business partner? That's a single point of failure. <laughs> um, is that, yes. if that person, um, uh, you know, focused on the business full time or they part-time and just trying to start off, right. Um, that can, you know, 
they're, they're not taking care of their money as if it's your money. Right. Right. Um, then, then we get into the structures of the deal. Are they um, offering a preferred return or is there a preferred return, but a GP catch up in there? If there's no preferred return or if there's a preferred return with a GP catch up, uh, meaning the general partnership is getting paid before you get your money capital back. That's a problem. Those yeah. are things to watch out for in this market because, you know, the general partner, you know, a lot of structures or these, you know, uh, deal structures are getting pinched. And so the general partner, it's a totally valid way. As long as they disclose it, it it's totally, um, it's an above board way for them to get some money out of the deal. But, you know, for us, we don't do that. We do preferred returns with zero GP catch up. So we purely put our limited partner first. Um, yeah. Are they using... I think this is something that in the news are the, is the general partnership, are they using uh, floating rate debt? And does that debt have a cap on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would even go so far looking at the business plan is that are they doing a value add strategy that requires them to do a refinance in the next 24 to 36 months? Yeah. yeah. Um, the rate cap, let's just say, and on an $80 million multifamily building, a rate cap you know, just a year ago um, was probably a hundred thousand dollars. I'm just throwing out numbers for right. perspective. That same building today on an $80 million building, that rate cap would be $3.4 million. So that rate cap alone, should somebody have to go seek new financing um, to either refine, to, to move it from bridge yeah. debt to perm debt, that's that is where a lot of people are going to be getting in trouble. A lot of these yeah. newer syndicators, you know, yeah. they, they're, they're going to have to either sell or rest, get their deal rescued somehow. Yeah. And so just for those that don't really understand rate caps, I want to make sure you, that we're explaining this properly is, um, and you can explain it too. I'll explain, you know, my perspective on this as well. But, you know, one of the things that happens typically when people are buying, you know, multi-unit properties or, or anything is they start putting more expenses in and it raises the expenses and, re and it changes the rate cap, you know, or, well, certainly changes our DSCR, our debt to service coverage ratio. And this is where you get in trouble is that you start putting all this money into all these repairs and all these extra things. And then later on, the dividends are lower and lower and lower because we have these fixed permanent costs. That's the reason why we want to do some refinancing to be able to get our cash back. What do you say about that? How's your explanation of that compared to mine? Because I'm not a real well, so the, <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. So the rate cap, what I'm actually looking at is that that insurance policy mm -hmm. um, on the floating rate debt. So if uh, me as a general partner, if I went and purchased a property with a bridge loan, um, you know, say uh, with a floating rate for two years while I went in and did repairs. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in some of these buildings in the past year and a half, uh, the bridge that was used in order to juice the returns on the deal. Right. Because right. I could get a lower interest rate initially. Well, the interest rate has went from three and a half percent in some cases, some of these, you know, over like 10, 12, but I purchased a rate cap saying that my interest rate would never go over 6%. Yeah. Okay. The bank made me do that because of the floating rate structure. Yeah. Now it doesn't mean that the bank doesn't get paid that Delta between six and 10%. It just means the insurance company is doing that. And the insurance company charged me a hundred thousand dollars to write that policy right? Not knowing that interest rates are going to go through the roof. 
now that they've started like spiking, the, that same insurance company is going, okay, that insurance policy does not cost $100,000. It's actually going to cost $3.4 million. And I didn't have that expense written in to my next financing structure, my takeout loan. Yeah. So there's two things happening. One, just that bill coming due. The expenses okay? are, yeah, uh, and, are higher. Yeah. Right. And, but two, the, the, the lender perhaps that is carrying the current bridge debt understands that that cap renewal is coming up. And so what are they doing? They're starting to escrow today for that future cap. Yeah. Yeah. Therefore, continuing to deplete the expenses and reserves on that asset. So that is just something yeah. to root yeah. for these limited partners to really keep their eye on. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that, you know, all of these points, and I know you probably have eight of them and I don't want you to give them all away here right now, but um, you know, yeah, all of these things are really important. And I, um, you know, I ran into somebody who's trying to pull together a single family syndication. He's going to buy 120 single family properties, all peppered around the United States and pull all the money together, buy all the properties straight out. And he's never done it before. And he's like, oh, I'm having problems raising capital. And I said, because you're new, you need a partner. You need a partner in this who's been through this, you know, and there are plenty of people that are interested in doing, you know, this, the bulk buy of single families as opposed to, you know, commercial properties or whatever, but there's the lack of experiences there. And that's why I didn't invest in that one. I just felt like, well, it's a, it's a really good concept, but it hasn't been proven by you. So I don't know what to do. So I think that that's really important for them. Let's talk about, as we finish up our time together here, let's let's talk about um, what you specifically do for people who are interested in investing. So I want, I want the listener to hear this. I want you to hear this, listener. If you don't have money or if you have money, but it's tied up in 401k or maybe in a property or whatever, think about what you're telling your clients is, you, you know, if you want some liquid cash, cash out your, do a cash out refinance. If you want some cash, maybe you, maybe, disclaimers, I'm not a financial planner, an accountant, a tax person. Maybe you withdraw your 401k and put your money to better use so that it's in flow. And that's what we did. That's why I'm saying it's something I, I like to do, but that doesn't mean that it is for you. Um, so what do you say to those people that may not have enough cash, may have some cash they can get their hands on, what are you going to specifically teach them if they were to work with you? Yeah. So, uh, so at passiveinvesting.com, we don't do the financial like coaching or anything like that. You know, really we have, we, we are working with investors that already have their capital um, situation in place or an idea of that. And, and that's, we have to maintain that relationship because of this art. We're bound by the securities and exchange commission to maintain that distance. Now, personally, um, you know, with my work at Ash Wealth, I help, you know, people understand all the possibilities, like what you have done. Like I did that too. I did it like in 2017, I broke up with the IRS. That's how I put it. Like I <laughs> had an old 401k and yeah. instead of rolling it over, I was, I did the math. I sat down with a coach and mentor. I did the math to understand, okay, this is what's available to me um, in my stocks, in the stocks, bonds, and mutual fund world, if I were to reinvest, or this is what's available to me in the potential returns I can make on this money and utilizing depreciation to keep that tax sheltered. Okay. Accelerating my time value of money. Mm -hmm. Um, this is what I can make over here. And, um, I did that. My husband did not. 
Um, and we had to stop the contest about a year and a half later because I was just blowing them out of the water. <laughs> it's funny you said that. I know it's funny you said that because my husband didn't do his either. He's like, I need the safety blanket. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. The difference is I put mine into whole life. So I do have a safety, mm-hmm. right? Safety blanket, at least for where that I is. I do too. Yeah. You know, not, not necessarily for the investment, but at least it's in, you know, in another vehicle that I think I have more control over. And um, but no, he's just like, Mm-mm, I like my warm, fuzzy little 401k. So, okay, you keep it. That's fine. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's seeing it as time goes on. So I love that. I love, you know, what you're doing. So you, you uh, with your company then, but you are, are you doing any co- coaching or consulting, you know, is h- helping someone who's brand new at it uh, to be able to read the stack? To be able to understand, you know, the, the opportunity, because, you know, there sometimes stacks are a page and most of them are multiple, multiple pages. And most people don't know what they're looking at. Yeah. So in passive investing, um, passive com, I, you know, help people understand our deals, um, the, the, just the inherent, um, structure and multifamily self-storage and express car wash deals, but understand fully, um, you know, how our structures are put together, uh, and on my passive investing made simple show, I, you know, I teach people how to read our deals, but they can take those skills and apply them, uh, okay. to uh, how to read other deals out there. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. and then if somebody wants one-on-one help, they can, um, you know, I can work with them, um, at ashwealth.com. Okay. Yeah. Good. So we'll put all the links down below um, here for the every so that everyone can uh, you know make a decision on what they want they want to do. Um, but what would you like to leave us with today for the novice investor, that one who's sitting there right on the edge? Yeah, I would just say um, you know you know invest in yourself to get started. And I don't, it doesn't have to be a monetary investment, but your, you know, your time and knowledge, but just remember knowledge is only potential power. You have to take action on it. You have to yeah. take, you're going to learn so much more by taking um, a step into that first investment. You'll prove the model to yourself and then you can get that flywheel spinning because once you have like a good first step, I mean, you'll be off to the races. I mean, I, I work with my clients and, and the scariest part is getting them into their first deal. And once they're in their first deal, it, gimme, it's, gimme, it's gimme. generally, it tumbles downhill. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's like, gimme, gimme, gimme. We we just had a, uh, we invested in a fix and flip and down in Florida and we just got paid back the money and I'm like, get it back in the bank. Well, and it isn't in the bank, right? It's in my wholesale whole life account. So we got it into our bank account. I'm like, get it back over in our whole life. Let's, let's look, let's look, let's keep looking. What do we do? Yeah. We just love, love maneuvering that money and, you know, and whatever we, we can do, you know, but, but I think it's, I think it's fantastic what you're doing. Thank you so much for sharing. You have such a, a wide, deep, it's everything. It's like a whole tranche of of wealth of knowledge in such a short period of time. I shouldn't say short. It's been 20 years, but but you know, in set relatively short period of time as it relates to, you know, what's happening with syndications and whatnot. So thank you so much for giving us some just the tip of the iceberg of what you have to offer. We sure appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure, Jen. So thank you again for listening. Thanks for taking time out of your day. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Mortgage Lending Mastery. Thanks for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. 
Be sure to subscribe to hear more sales tips, ideas, strategies, and tactics to help you with your personal and professional growth to multiply your results in record time. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to give us a rating and review so we can continue to bring you the best content possible. Wanting more beyond the podcast? Join our Mortgage Lending Mastery Membership Community, where you will find extended interviews with our favorite guests, weekly training, tips, and insider secrets, fireside chats with Jen, free content, meet, share, and collaborate with other members, and so much more. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about this exclusive content. Mortgage Lending Mastery is an industry syndicate charter podcast. Industry Syndicate is the first podcast network specifically for the mortgage and real estate industries. Get the Industry Syndicate app in the App Store or Google Play today.